you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol Baskin from Big Cat Rescue, and you are listening to the Humane Roundup Podcast. Welcome to the Humane Roundup Podcast, where we share all the exciting stories about animal cruelty investigations, dangerous animals, and amazing rescues. Find out what goes on inside of animal shelters and all the current trends in the animal welfare industry. Now, here is your host, Daniel Edinger. Whoa, this is episode 83. We have a big one today, don't we, Ashley? We have a huge one. <laughs> I'm really excited about it and just want to shout out Tim, our editor, for putting all this awesome content available and can't forget our executive producer, Hildy, for all the work that he does behind the scenes. So just, uh, yeah, we're ready to rock and roll. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram, Humane Roundup. You can find Officer Bishop as Humane Officer H.O. Bishop on social media. That is, uh, you're not on TikTok yet, are you? No. Well, I am, but not professionally. And I okay. don't so want. She is on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as Animal Protection Officer Daniel. So check those socials out. Don't forget to like and share wherever you listen to this podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. And make sure you check us out. All right, so I think we should introduce our first guest today, and this is a big guest for us. We are going to introduce Carol Baskin with the Big Cat Rescue. Thanks for joining us, Carol. Hi, Carol. I'm so, I'm so happy to be here among people who really get animal protection work. And we are, so for us, like this is obviously an exciting moment to to interview you and, and learn really about some of this big cat stuff, because as you know, uh, you've lived it probably for the last several years, your name is synonymous with some negative stuff. And and I think it's important that we really get the message out there, kind of what you've been working on and what really wasn't highlighted in the docuseries. Yeah, I think most people who were in the animal protection world may have known about Big Cat Rescue. They probably didn't know my name because I've always tried to push the sanctuary into the foreground. But after Tiger King came out, my name became probably better known than Big Cat Rescue, but for all the wrong reasons. Absolutely. So how, like, talk to us about how the Big Cat Rescue came about and, and how long it's been operating. In 19, well, going back even further, when I was 17 years old, which would have been like 1978, I was rescuing and rehabbing native bobcats. And so in 1992, when I was 31 years old, I was at an exotic animal auction and we were buying llamas because my late husband and I were in real estate for a living. And we would turn the llamas loose on big tracts of land and they kind of clear about eye level and then we'd move them off to the next property. And they're really easy to contain. You can pretty much draw a line in the sand and say, don't cross that. And they'll stay in that area where there's no other kind of stock just like that, to my knowledge. So we're sitting there bidding on these llamas, and this man comes in with a six-month-old bobcat that was clutching his neck and scared to death. And if you've ever been to any of these animal auctions, it's like this big barn full of all kinds of animals that are scared out of their minds and noisy people that are mostly drunk. And then you've got the blaring megaphones of the guys that are actually looking for the bids and calling for the bids and making a lot of noise. And so this bobcat was just absolutely horrified of this scene. And I couldn't imagine why on earth anybody would think that you could sell a bobcat as a pet. The guy was saying that the cat was six months old. It wasn't a fun pet for his wife anymore. She wanted to get rid of it. And the guy next to me started bidding on her. And what I knew about bobcats is they are the most fierce animal on the face of the planet. There is nothing that a bobcat won't take on. And I leaned over to the guy and I said, when that cat grows up, which is usually about a year and a half, she's going to tear your face off. <laughs> and he said, I'm a taxidermist. I'm just going to club her in the head in the parking lot and make oh a dent goodness. decoration out of her. Wow. Yeah. So I started crying and my husband was like, I got to make her stop crying. So I started bidding. And we probably paid more for that bobcat than anybody's ever paid for a bobcat in the history of bobcats. But she was not going to be clubbed in the head in that parking lot. And so we brought her yeah. home, but she had been declawed and she was from another state and she was born in captivity. So for all of those reasons, she couldn't be released. 
And any exotic cat born in captivity cannot be released. It's not legal, and they need their mother to train them for usually a couple of years before they can become whoever they are. Sure. So we took her home, and she was as wretched a pet as I would have ever imagined a bobcat to be. We had a German shepherd that lived in terror of that cat. I had a 12-year-old daughter that was constantly getting between the German shepherd and the bobcat to break it up. My husband would go into the kitchen and open the refrigerator door. The cat would have been laying up on top of the refrigerator just waiting for somebody to come by so she could leap down and start ripping their hair out. And instead of thinking, wow, this is a really, really bad pet, my husband decided he wanted to find somebody that she wouldn't just beat the snot out of. And so back then, there was a publication called Animal Finder's Guide, and he called every number in there for people that were advertising cats. And this one guy said, I'll sell you some kittens to raise with her, but you have to come here in person. So we packed up my daughter, and one of her little friends from school into a van, and we drove to La Center, Minnesota. And when we get there, it was a big metal shed. And we walk inside and there's just row after row after row of kind of like rabbit hutches, but these are mm. holding bobcats and canada lynx and siberian lynx and they were just the cages were full of fur and feces and bits and pieces of food that had rotted and the guy is running around the back ends where they have these little boxes and he's opening the top of the box and pulling out these kittens and showing us all these kittens and i'm just i'm in horror as i look around the because of the filth, the flies in there were so thick that we had to put handkerchiefs over our faces just to be able to breathe without getting them in our mouths and up our noses. And We've been in houses like that with domestic cats. Could these cats even wow. turn around or move in these hutches at all? That's all they could do was turn around. You know, there That's was it. like, you could take a step and a half in one direction, turn around and come back. Mm. And they were on wire floors to let most of the uh, urine drop through to the floor. It was just, it was beyond. Puppy mill. Yeah, very much like that. You know, people tell me kitten mills don't exist. I'm like, well, they used to. They were called fur farms. Mm. And we didn't know that's what it was. We thought it was just a guy selling kittens. And so as I'm looking around in this scene, it's like, I'm just trying to take it all in. I can't even take in the amount of suffering that is going on in this hot metal shed. And over in the corner, I see a pile of dead cats, and they had just cut the belly off of each of the cat. And about that time, I asked the man if there was this big of a market for bobcats as pets, because I just could not imagine anybody making a pet out of them. Yeah, they are so wicked. And he said, oh, no, no. He said, this is a fur farm and whatever we don't sell as pets, we'll slaughter next year for their fur. Then it became abundantly clear to me why these cats in the corner had their bellies cut off. Because what I could see of the cats who were in cages, I had never seen a fur coat that looked like a bobcat or a lynx. But on, on their bellies, they had this white fur with the black spot. And if you think about like the fur trim that you would see on the collar of a, a queen or a king's cape, or um, sometimes you've actually seen stoles or full-length fur coats that are white with these spots on it, they can only use that little piece of belly fur for that because that's the way it's spotted there. And then the rest of the cat is either discarded or, and sometimes as it was there, actually fed back to the other animals who live there. Yeah, I, wow. it was just horrific. And so it was like this freight train running through my head as I'm taking all of this in. And I could barely hear my husband as he sees me over there crying my eyes out, say how much for every cat here. And I'm thinking, there's no way. <laughs> what? <laughs> cat here? What are you going to do? And we took home 56 bobcats and lynx that. Wow. He bought every single cat at the, wow. Well, he bought. And did you guys have the, did you guys have your, and I don't want to say cages because you guys don't really have them in cages, but did you have a setup ready for no, them? No, we didn't. And so when I say every cat and when he said every cat, I'm thinking all of these adults and everything. 
And what he negotiated with the guy was to buy all of the kittens so that they wouldn't be harvested okay. the following year. So we went into town and we bought every pet taxi, every toolbox that we could drill holes into, every bucket that we could put a lid on, that anything that we could move all of these cats and kittens, or, well, they were all kittens, back to Tampa. And we went into like the pet stores and bought out all of the kitten milk replacer and the puppy milk replacer and the goose milk replacer and all of their bottles and everything that we could possibly get our hands on to try and keep these guys alive. And then they had to be fed every four hours around the clock. And that kind they were still body bottle babies at that point. Yeah, because they were still with their moms in the den boxes as this guy was pulling them out. But we didn't want to leave wow. a single kitten for the next year's harvest. Yeah. And we were so consumed with taking care of those 56 cats. When we came back, we brought in every one of our um, every one of our workers that worked in the office, a real estate office, or even the guys who were like our handymen would bring their wives and their kids and everybody would sit around in this huge circle and we would feed all of these kittens and clean them up and clean their cages. And we had to build, you know, cages as fast as we possibly could that would house these youngsters. And it was very similar as far as the setup. They were wire cages all over the place, except that we put floors in them so they weren't walking on wire. And I had these all built inside my house because I didn't want the cats exposed to the elements. So I have tile floors because I'm allergic to cats. I'm allergic to dust and mildew and mold and all of the things that come along with a bunch of animals. So we didn't have things like curtains or or even much furniture other than like wooden furniture and iron furniture. Um, and by the time you get through feeding all of those cats and kittens, four hours was pretty much up and you had to start over again. And so we were just doing this like day in and day out. And it wasn't until a year later when the, and we had to start building outdoor enclosures. So it started by adding on these porches all the way around my house that were, had both wire and greening on them so the cats didn't have mosquitoes bothering them. Florida and I live on you invented tree. you invented the first catio. <laughs> Maybe because this was like 1993. <laughs> <laughs> and you know then it was like okay these guys are getting big because some of our Siberian lynx got up to 90 pounds and so we had to start building cages wow. outside and you know much larger enclosure much larger than our catios anyway. They were like 12 feet wide and 24 feet long when the state standard said you could keep a cat like that in a six foot by four foot enclosure that was just that was unbearable to me so we did much larger at the time and then since have really increased our floor space for our cats starting starting out did you get to um keep them together or were they individual so were you building like 54 individual cages or could you keep them together we kept them together by litters. So as each litter was growing up together, they would go out into bigger and bigger enclosures together. And in some cases, we would have a, you know, a case where there was only one kitten from a litter and we would try to, to integrate it into another group. And um, there would be play times where we would have like all of these kittens playing with each other out there and we would actually put toenail polish on them of different colors so that I could tell when I got through which ones went back into which livers <laughs> to grow up. But I think at our peak, we had like 22 bobcats that were all living together, bobcats and lynx, uh, because we had been able to integrate those play groups where they were able to have like great big yards outside where they could all run and play together and just <laughs> kind of blast. Um, with with these rescues and situations, do they, is it the male that is neutered or the female spayed? They don't do both, right? It's one or the well, other. Early on, what we would do is neuter the males because spaying the females is okay. a much bigger operation and requires more healing time. <laughs> but what we learned, because mm -hmm. we didn't know anything, I mean, we were such idiots. And the, well, would, uh, let me go back a little bit and I'll, I'll, I'll speed that up. So the next year, the guy says, hey, I got more kittens. And we were like, oh, my God, this did not fix that problem. We got to get those adults out of there. So we started building adult cages as fast as we could. And we went back the next year and bought 28 cats, including all of the adults and all of the kittens. 
And that cleaned out that fur farm of all of their cast. And then we started buying out other fur farms. And the following year, we took 22 off another fur farm and then 12 off another fur farm. And in each case, we took every adult and kitten that they had. And then people started calling and saying, we should take my lion, we should take my tiger. And that's how we ended up with lions and tigers. But um, as we were doing all of this and rescuing all of these cats, the people that we were getting our advice from were the breeders and dealers because I called the zoo, the Lowry Park Zoo, when I got home and I said, you know, I just came in with 56 bobcats and lynx and I need to know what do they eat and what kind of cages do they need and what kind of vet care? Where do you guys get a vet for this? And they just hung up the phone on me because I was the, the pet industry and I didn't know that I was the You were the crazy guy. cat lady. Yeah. You were the crazy cat lady. I was the bad guy. And it took a couple of years. I mean, we started in... 92 with Winsong, 93 with the 56 cats, 94 with the 28, 95 with the 22. And it was probably about 90, know, maybe 96 that I started going to the conference for the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. And that's when I learned that none of these cats that were in private hands served any kind of conservation value. And so that's when we started spaying and neutering the cats. Got it. And then and for those list those listening, I just want to make sure they're they're aware. I mean, sure, people know who Carol Baskin is, but I want them to know, and we'll put this in the show notes as well. That check out bigcatrescue.org. That's the website where a lot of this information is. You can donate to the sanctuary, and there's some other information if if people want to read about it. So I just want to make sure our listeners are kind of aware to where to go and check it check it out on their own too. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's 10,000 pages yeah. of photos and videos and everything that we've ever learned about cats. We wanted to make it the biggest resource possible for people to find out about big cats. So currently, how many how many cats are at the rescue? There's currently, I got to do my count over in my head. We have 48 permanent residents, but in the past week, we brought in six bobcats for rehab and release. And it was like all six of them arrived within 48 hours. So that makes it what, like 54 yeah. 48, yeah, 54. And who, so do you still get dirty with them? Like, do you go out and feed them or is it more volunteers, staff? Like, I would imagine you're so, you sound so passionate about it. Like, I would imagine you're, you're still getting somewhat dirty and, and doing some of that work as well. The dirtiest on the Bobcat rehab work, because even though I'm not one of our rehabbers, I'm the rehab license for the sanctuary because I started it and I trained my daughter. She's our primary rehabber. But whenever there is a Bobcat that's been hit by a car or injured in some way, it's usually my daughter and I who go out after that cat. And even though a Bobcat might have been hit by a car, we have one Bobcat that the people that saw what had happened said the cat got hit by three different cars still managed to run off. And, you know, for us, you know, we're chasing it through the woods and through rivers and through ponds and alligator infested lakes and all over the place. And so we come out of it just covered in filth and poison <laughs> ivy. That's the one thing I hate about this job is I've always got some stage of poison ivy going on because of running around in the woods trying to capture some cat that's been injured so that we can rehab them back out in the wild. But I don't do the day-to-day -day care at the sanctuary. I was doing that in probably 98 or 99 when I gave a tour to a man who came from, he was on the board of the Wildlife Way Station, which is now defunct. In fact, we just rescued some cats from there. But they had been the oldest sanctuary in the U.S. at the time for exotic animals. And he came down to do a photo tour where we had built these huge enclosures where the cats had at least just a single bobcat had at least 1200 square feet of space and to this day that's our very smallest cage for any of these cats is 1200 square feet per cat and so he wanted to come here and take photographs of the cats in a very natural looking environment and at the end of the day i said you know we got to wrap this up because i have to feed the cats and he said well you're the ceo aren't you and i said yeah and he said you should be out there schmoozing the public, getting familiar with all of the political figures, moving your mission forward, you can't be doing animal care. And I just laughed at him, but it, it made an impression on me. And I realized, you know, he's right. I love feeding the cats. I love cleaning the cages and talking to them while I'm doing it, being around them, but that's not, that's not fixing the problem. And for me to fix this problem, I have to do the stuff I really hate, which is talk to people. 
and get involved in political um, changes of the law so that we can protect these guys on a much larger scale. And so that's when I started doing that was right around 98 or 99. So when you're talking about, you know, going out and, and trying to catch these big cats, I mean, look at what just happened in Texas. They had the tiger get loose. And I, I mean, how many days was that cat on the run before it was caught? Most of us are, you know, I, I can't say most, but a good chunk of us are either by ourselves or or something along those lines and have absolutely no experience with uh, big cats. What would your suggestions be to somebody who's in Timbuktu, you know, Wisconsin, has absolutely no experience, but somebody happened to have a big cat and got away from them? What do we do? <laughs> Like, where do we go? How do we handle this? That is absolutely the problem. And that is why we need the Big Cat Public Safety Act, which is a federal bill that will ban cub petting, which drives about 90%, 90 to 99% of the breeding of big cats. And it phases out private ownership because so many of the cases that you're talking about are private owners. Usually if it's a big zoo and they get a, you know, a tiger gets loose, they have the support system for trying to recover that cat. But when it's some backyard breeder or some pet owner, they don't have a tranquilization gun. They don't have the drugs because they're, I don't know what they call them, schedule one drugs that are, you know, you can't have them. <laughs> yeah, they're a, yep. exactly. And that's actually a big problem we have when we go across state lines. Even if we're rescuing cats from a facility where the cat is in a cage, getting the cat out of the cage into a transport wagon can be a freaking nightmare and we can't bring the drugs that we need into the state so we have to find some vet in that state who's willing to come into what is usually a volatile and extremely dangerous situation and allow us to use their DEA license in order to use our own tranquilization equipment do you guys have like trank guns and that sort of thing i'm try i'm trying for it we're still and it depends on on the agency like you mentioned being a controlled substance in that aspect some agencies do have the training and ability to use trank guns but then they would have to know the amount the dosage right because how what's a tiger weigh carol we've had tigers that weighed 285 pounds up to tigers who weighed 750 pounds and when you're looking at them and they're not in a cage and they're coming at you they look like they weigh 5,000 pounds <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing is like the you know these dark these dark guns that they do have they you know they're probably for dogs weighing 50 to 70 pounds maybe 100 pounds and so they would have to know the correct amount of of drugs to use in those situations i would say that to our listeners and, and carol i'm sure you've seen those catch poles that are synonymous kind of with our industry the dog catcher if you will that uses that snare pole don't don't put a tiger on a snare pole on a catch pole that's not that is not the way that you move or you know mobilize a tiger it'll probably bend that steel pole in half it'll probably eat you the tiger will eat you if you put it on a catch yeah pole. so to our listeners the officers listening if you have the ability to contact like our wildlife department somebody in the state or your city that that may have some of the tools that are needed to capture these animals because they're huge they're they're not something that we deal with day to day and they are huge and, and i want to talk about the big cat safety act too carol to go back i will admit to this back in 2000 probably 13 there was a county fair in the city that i work at and we got a call from PETA that there were cubs uh, being you know presented there for people to pay for pay to pet and hold and take their photos with and that was early on in my career and unbeknownst to me, I just was, you know, fat. Like I was like, this is amazing. So we go out to the call. I've never seen a tiger cub in my life. And sure enough, I didn't know what to look for. Right. And there, they had kind of this, almost like a weeping box in the back where, you know, it was filled, filled with like, I want to say it was like wood chips or something like that. It wasn't bedding like, like towels or, you know, anything from, from the bed. It was, it was more like natural, whether it was hay or, or wood chips and sure enough they had i think there was four kittens or cubs excuse me and i was just amazed like i didn't know like what to look for are they you know are they sick 
Are they tired? Are they overworked? All I really cared about, and I'll be honest, this is not a highlight of my career, was I just want to take a photo with a with a little cub. Like that's that's really all I cared about. So if one of our officers are listening and they get a call to inspect somebody doing this where they're, you know, at a fair or they're somewhere doing this this tiger photo shoot or tiger cub holding, what should we look for to know that maybe this animal is is in you know in distress? may not be feeling well, could be sick, etc. I'm glad that you asked that. And, you know, it takes a really big person to say, hey, I did something that wasn't very well informed at the time. And that's, that's what is so heinous about cub handling is when people know the truth about how those cubs end up in those places, nobody would pay to pet one. But the people who are pimping them out are telling you, you can pay $20 to pet this cub and you get this fabulous photo to show people how much you love big cats and your money is saving them. It's going to save them from extinction because we have to breed them in captivity because there's no place left for them in the wild. And people want to touch and photograph themselves with those cubs because they're adorable. Who doesn't want to do that? It's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing that they're so excited to be able to be a part of that that they don't think about, how did this cub end up at a fair? Where's this cub's mother? And, you know, why isn't this cub with their mother? And even if they ask those questions of the people involved, they're just going to be lied to. So they're not going to get any real information from them. People don't lie to us. What are you talking about? (laughs) One of the distinct memories I have other than hearing this tiger cub roar, like it, it was like, roar. I was like, how does it do that? It's only like, you know, 10, 15 pounds and it was loud as heck. But the, the one thing I do remember is the, the worker or the person that brought him there probably were like, I, I don't recall their age, but you could just tell that like, they're just a, like a pawn in a game. Like they're not the person that is, you know, doing all the work to get them there. They're, they're the handlers. They're the, the ones that probably feed them multiple times a day, but they did not seem experienced and they didn't seem to know much about anything in that aspect. And it was, that was pretty eye opening. when we came, I mean, to the, to see, you know, to, to, to see the Cubs, they had really no information for us at that time, which was a little discerning. These people that do this kind of cub petting will frequently on the people that come to work for them as well. They would not hire somebody who has a bachelor's degree in biology or, you know, anybody with any kind of zoological experience. What they want are people that they can control, people who are so desperate to have that job where they get to have their hands on cute little cubs every day that they will turn a blind eye to all of the abuse that they see. I can't tell you how many of these people have come to me over the years as whistleblowers saying, I just saw this horrific thing that the person who runs this zoo has done to one of our animals or to a bunch of our animals. And I want you to do something about it, but I can't come forward because if I do, I'll never get a job in this industry again. Well, I can't do a thing with hearsay. You guys probably deal with that all the time, I would imagine. (laughs) All the time. So. So where can we get information on housing requirements of big cats or um, even the drugs that might need to be used, the dosages, you know, if we have access to trank guns or something like that? Is there something on the big cat rescues page that we can reference or, or how do we get that information? As far as the medical stuff, because I'm not a veterinarian, I can't really put cocktails out there for what people should be using. But our veterinarian has a protocol, a cocktail that she uses of, it's a mixture of different sedation drugs because different sedation drugs do different things. And it can kill a cat if you just hit a cat with ketamine. It's a paralyzing agent. But She has other things that kind of soften that blow so they don't end up in seizures and all of that. So it would really have to come from a veterinarian who knows big cats that would be able to 
advise you on what those percentages of each of those different drugs should be for that cocktail. And it's different by different species. What we've learned because we've had at our peak 200 cats um, at one time. And so our vet had to learn that there's a big difference between the way you might sedate a cougar and the way you would sedate a tiger or a bobcat. And another huge factor is what is the situation that cat's in? You know, if our cat is just coming into its feeding lockout because it thinks we're going to feed them, but we really have to sedate them and take them in for dental work or something, that cat's relaxed. It's not expecting anything. You dart them and in 20 minutes they're asleep. If that cat's running around loose, you might have to dart that cat three times. I've seen that happen. And every time sure. it's getting more of that in its system and you could kill it with each, each dose. dose, but it, the cat just won't go to sleep. Well, if any of our listeners have questions, please shoot us an email and then we can forward it to you, Carol, and, and see if your veterinarian can give any advice on that. So I, I think it's important that, you know, we know that there's resources out there because we might come into situations where we, we do have to impound a tiger. I, I would not be surprised, you know, I, I work in a large city, I would not be surprised if tomorrow I got a call that there was like a drug raid and in the basement there was a tiger living in there malnourished. I remember there was one in New York City a few years ago in one of these apartment you know, buildings. I, I think in every major city, there's probably some large cat living in filth in its basement or in a room, you know, not getting proper nutrition. So if we come into that, if I, like, let's say I go out there and we're gonna impound this cat, where should we, like, temporarily we have a you know we have a rescue here that deals with you know the wild animals whether it's lions tigers bears any of those animals thank you i was waiting for that oh uh, any of those animals like where <laughs> temporarily where do i how how's that because our animal shelters typically are you know it's domestic dogs and cats i can't put a tiger in a cage in a they're, they're gonna well our, yeah they probably would honestly because it's not that really like strong steel panel stuff. So what would your recommendation be if we had to temporarily house one until we can have it, you know, picked up by your sanctuary or another one? What, what's the best best thing to do there? My email, I, I have it put out to the entire world. So it's okay to share it. It's cat, like the animal, C-A-T, at bigcatrescue.org. And I I'm on email all day long. So that's the best and most reliable way to reach me. But if you were to say, we're going into this situation or we're on the scene and there's a tiger, um, I'm going to be able to respond to you pretty quickly. But what I'll have to do is reach out to the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries and scramble somebody who's closer to you because we have members of the Big Cat Sanctuary Coalition that are all over the United States. And the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries accredits sanctuaries all around the world. But neither of those organizations has a dedicated person that's watching email or a phone. So you won't get a response if you contact them. But if you contact me, I'll, I'll keep digging until I find somebody close by that has the transport equipment that you need. Fantastic. That's super helpful. Dan, do you guys have any local ordinances? We actually just updated ours, and I don't remember if it included it before, but... Our current ordinance does prohibit um, the philids or philids, I don't know, however you want to pronounce it, for lions, tigers, cougars, cheetahs, everything except domestic cats. What about you? We have an ordinance for keeping wild or dangerous animals, so you can't have any anything that's not on that. So domestic cats, we I don't need, you're not even allowed to have like servals or Aussie cats or anything like that. And Carol, help me with this one. There's, a, is it a total of 10 states now that tigers are still somewhat allowed or there's just no no law against them and that's something that the Big Cat Safety Act is working towards eradicating? What you guys are talking about is absolutely the problem. We have a website at bigcatrescue.org forward slash, um, I think it's called like state laws, exotic exotic cat state laws, something like that. If you search it on our site, you'll find it. And it has each one of the states and what their existing current laws are regarding exotic cats. And everybody's got a different set of rules, a different set of cage requirements, a different set of what kind of experience, if any. There are four states who have absolutely no rules whatsoever about the keeping of these animals. 
in Texas, which is where there's been all of these loose tigers recently, they decided yeah. that they wouldn't have a state law. They would do it county by county. Well, the counties are not equipped to create all of those rules and enforcement and training and everything else. So that's why the Big Cat Public Safety Act is the only way that we're going to bring this big cat crisis in America under control. And what it does is it stops the cub petting, makes it illegal to pet a cub. That stops 90 to 99 percent of the breeding and discarding of these cats. And then it phases out private ownership. So people who have them can keep them, but they have to register them. And right now there is no registering body that tells anybody in law enforcement where these big cats are. So when first responders go in to fight a fire, I know a guy who had a tiger come leaping out of a burning house right over his head. And nobody even knew the cat was there because there's no requirement currently that they register and let their state know where they are. So this would require registration so that we know whether or not they have cats now, and they wouldn't be able to buy or breed more, which means in the next five years or so, all of those cats that are in private hands will probably have died out, and this problem will be done. I'm fairly certain, I, I'm trying to look it up right now, but um, I'm fairly certain Wisconsin is going to be on that because I know. Yeah, you're on that. I was going to say, as a, as a whole. You have no laws at all, nope, actually, in Wisconsin. It, you you're, can you're have, one of the four. You can have anything that is not a native wild animal. And so it is based on local jurisdiction, which we got it encompassed into our local ordinances that you straight up yeah. can't own. So, Which means you can have a lion, but not a bobcat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'd, I'd rather, <laughs> I and, and it takes us back to that situation that happened in Ohio several years ago where that that gentleman took his own life, but before doing that, he released all these wild animals into the community, right? So there's like just some, there's there's just no sanctions around it. And it it's, and I think all those animals were euthanized on scene, right? All but six of them ended up being killed. They were able okay. to capture six of them who the cats had gone back into their cages. So when okay. the zoo was called in, they were able to tranquilize them. That's good. So we're going to shift gears a little bit. And I want to talk about, so our listeners, you know, we we posted a kind of a, a coming soon to this episode and, and some of our listeners. I, I was actually a little disappointed that with some of the questions that were asked or pr proposed, but I, I, I wanted to ask a question that is more related to like the 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 docu series the Netflix series Tiger King and like how you like it really just dawned on me when and Ashley and I were talking offline this week I kind of I I don't know maybe I didn't watch it well enough but I didn't realize or she reminded me that like you literally had like a hit put on you like how do you live day to day knowing that somebody was like that crazy to want to try to take your life well, first off, I think one of the things about Tiger King that everybody should have been able to observe on their own is that all of the people who have lions and tigers in their backyards as pets or at these roadside zoos are freaking crazy, derelict, and in many cases, criminal. <laughs> so those are the people in charge of keeping your neighborhood safe. And as far as the hit being put on me, everybody's like, how did you deal with that? He was, he had a hitman that he hired to kill you. And what they don't know, because they only know it from Tiger King, is that these people have been trying to kill me for 20 years. Whenever I go to speak at a legislative hearing, or if I go to the Florida Commission, Florida Wildlife Commission hearings, because I can't, I frequently speak at these about protecting the Florida panther or ending something called fox penning, where they would turn dogs loose to terrorize not only foxes, but bobcats as a training method, um, trying to protect domestic cats from being, feral cats from being killed by the state. They wanted to open up a hunting season on feral cats. Whenever I go to speak at these things, the only people who are ever at those meetings are the, what they call stakeholders. And those are the people who make a living off of either having guided tours for hunting or people that are doing these hunting ranches or people that are hunters themselves or wanting to exploit these animals in some way, like the people that are doing cub petting. 
in the past, there would only be like maybe one other person from Defenders of Wildlife. And she and I kind of looked alike. In fact, she got attacked one time because the person thought she was me. And so whenever I go to those things, I have people screaming obscenities at me, threatening me, gathering around me, following me in big mobs. Um, In some cases, I've had one guy in particular has physically attacked me twice at these meetings in front of the Florida Wildlife Commission officers who are all a bunch of hunters themselves. And they're like, oh, it's just Vernon Yates going after Carol, let him do it. And that has been my life since the 90s when I stopped breeding and decided I was going to stop this abuse that was happening all all around the world. But I started with my state. And then there's been a number of these people who have threatened to kill me in person and said that they knew this guy in Miami who was the um, model for Scarface who had gone to jail for 100 years for all of the things that he had done and gotten out on 12 years for turning state's evidence. But so many people have told me they were going to have that guy kill me because he's he's a huge cub petter right now. And as far as like Joe, Joe Schreibogel goes, we first crossed paths in about 2004, and then he had a YouTube channel where he would go on there nightly trying to get people to rape me, to break my legs, to silence me, to harm my family, to do anything to shut me up. Because if they didn't, if they didn't silence me, they were going to lose their ability to use these tiger cubs. And it did, comes back to money. Yeah. Did you use that almost as? as fuel to the fire to say you were going to stick with it that much harder or were you genuinely afraid? No, that's my personality. Both of them are fair. <laughs> my personality is such as you tell me you're, you're going to stop me from doing something and I am just that more determined I'm going to do it. Can I just say, uh, and I, it may be funny, but if there is like a celebrity boxing match between you and Joe, I think you'd knock him out in the first oh, round. Yeah. That's just my opinion. That? Um, I think people would pay for that. <laughs> I, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure people would pay for that. Uh, however, Fundraiser for big cat to be, rescue. <laughs> to be serious, though, to let, I, I want to scale it back because a lot of our officers, right? We're clearly we're not in the like the same world as you are in some aspects. However, you know we're we're taking animals for investigations. We're removing, you know, removing as people call them, family members in some aspects, right? And it might be a criminal investigation where somebody's going to go to jail. Like we are also targeted. And so my, my question or for the thought of bringing that up is like knowing that you, you're really similar to our officers where we always have to kind of know our surroundings and watch our back because it's, it's unsafe. And, and you're, I mean, you're more, you know, obviously more in, in that sense, famous people know you and people just to like, whether it's to get a like on social media or to, you know, to be, to be like loved by that cult, if you will, of the the Tiger King or the Joe followers, like they would probably do harm to you. And so it's important that that you're safe. And and I read that that's probably one of the reasons why you you stopped the tours at the sanctuary was because it's just you don't know who's going to come in there and try to do harm. That's true. And even though I'm almost never the person who actually gives the tours, I didn't want somebody coming in there with a automatic weapon and just wiping out my guests and volunteers and staff, people that are innocent of whatever it is that these people think they're going to settle as a score. So I couldn't take that risk. And so many of the people after Tiger King said they wanted to kill the cat. And I didn't understand why that was. And they said, because they don't belong in cages. And I thought, how could you watch Tiger King and not know that I am absolutely opposed to keeping big cats in cages? We're on the same side of this. And Yet they didn't get that. They got that they, and, you know, I think the editors of Tiger King did a really good job of making it look like sanctuaries and zoos were the same thing, which we're not. We're polar opposites. But because of that, I couldn't have somebody coming out on a tour and tossing in some piece of poisoned meat or something and killing the cats. Yeah, and I I volunteered for a little while at a wolf sanctuary here in Colorado, and I, I learned a lot. And that actually somewhat propelled me into this profession just being able to to really understand what it looked like on that on that aspect of it and and how these animals a lot of the animals that were brought there were brought 
to them by our profession, you know, animal protection officers seizing a wolf that was illegally kept as a pet, you know, th those type of things. And so I totally get it. And, and I think it's just important that our listeners and, and people realize that like you're here because you're, you're honestly, you're here because the people that are illegally owning these pets in poor conditions, those people are putting them in cages that they shouldn't be in. Like you talked earlier about the bobcats and these wire, you know, wire cages living in their own filth and could basically just turn around. That's not natural behavior for them. And so you came along to provide at least some sort of, some sort of remnants of what it would be like to live in the wild if they could. And, and that's what, you know, you're, your sanctuary and others that are that are legit provide and so i know i appreciate that and i'm sure a lot of our listeners now learning more about what you do appreciate that as well i think the biggest difference that people did not get is that zoos are in the business of buying breeding and and exploiting animals and sanctuaries legitimate sanctuary doesn't want to exist we want to end the problem at its root so that we don't have to rescue these animals and put them in cages because they can't go free so they've got to be somewhere safe but we need to just stop the breeding and the thing that people can do the most is to never pay to have their picture made with a cub never pay to go to a zoo that's saying hey come see the babies and that will stop the breeding they only do it because they make money off of it well, I just want our listeners again to to know to check out the website, bigcatrescue.org. You are a 501c3, yeah? We are. Yeah. So um, to our listeners, knowing that like you can donate, you can donate money. Is there other things they can donate? Are there like, is there like an Amazon wish list or anything like that for the cats? You know, the easiest way for people to help us out is through the Amazon Smile program. If you go to... Um, amazon.com slash smile and choose big cat rescue as your charity then every time you shop on amazon uh, they sh they kick a little bit of money back to big cat rescue doesn't add anything to your bill it doesn't come from you at all it comes from amazon and you get the same prices and everything so it's a really really wonderful way to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars every year for the cats without it costing our donors anything Check that out, Amazon Smile, if you're not doing it already. And it's just, we you have to do it for Big Cat Rescue on Amazon? Yes, and we do have a wish list there as well. Most of the things on our wish list are not very exciting. They're things like, you know, plastic gloves and things to keep our volunteers going. We have anywhere from 88 to 120 volunteers at any given time. And we feed them while they're there <laughs> and keep them hydrated because they are working ridiculously long hours to take care of the animals. and so. There's always snacks and beverages on that list. Bishop, you got any other questions before we wrap it up? Don't. This was absolutely phenomenal, Carol. I want to thank you for taking out time of your day to come out and talk to us. Because um, this was it, this was a lot of information that was definitely missed on um, Tiger King, which I, I'm hoping that. Um, Tiger King maybe brought some more awareness to your cause. I mean, obviously it, it probably brought some negative, but I'm hoping it brought some positive too. And I'm hoping we can also, you know, facilitate some of those positive interactions as well with this episode. You know, there was one scene in Tiger King where they, that mother tiger was giving birth and these guys at GW Zoo were all gathered around. They had this metal hook and they were, hooking the baby as she was birthing them, dragging them across the gravel floor of the barren little cage that she was kept in, and then squeezing that poor baby tiger's head through the bars and then deciding whether it was male or female because it would make a big difference as far as how valuable the cub was. That cub was never going to go back to his mother. None of them ever go back to their mothers. From that moment forward, they are abused and mishandled. They're dropped. They have kids stepping on them. They end up with all kinds of bone issues, metabolic bone disease from not getting the proper nutrition. And then once they get to be 16 weeks old, they can take a finger off a child. And that's when they are dumped into backyards and basements. Some of them are killed for their parts. Um, it creates this legal smokescreen for illegal activities like poaching that uh, covers for all of the things that you find in the trade, like teeth and bones and 
again, if you say it's your pet tiger, nobody can do anything about it. Whereas if you weren't allowed to have a pet tiger, it'd be five years in jail, a $20,000 fine. So I think that one scene in Tiger King really had an impact on people to where they were like, this is just wrong. So even though all of the rest of it was a freaking dumpster fire, it was worth it for that one scene. And it brings awareness and that's the importance, right? Is it's easy to make a documentary and paint somebody as the villain. Shit, our profession, like the dog catcher villain has been in existence for decades, right? And we still live under that stereotype where, whereas a lot of our listeners know we're not the dog catcher, right? We're doing these humane investigations. We're dealing with public safety, et cetera. And so I think some of us can relate to you in that aspect where ultimately they saw, in my opinion, the producers of the show saw an angle and they, they took that angle and ran with it and made you kind of the villain and made Joe like this, this kind of quirky, you know, crazy yeah that's that's probably a better <laughs> way to say it i wanted to say something about meth but i, I just didn't know if that was appropriate so <laughs> it's fine it's fine so carol is there did you have anything for us is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like our listeners to know before we before we let you go the one thing that everybody in the u.s can do is go to bigcatact.com and we make it very simple for them to send an email to their member of congress they can send a tweet and or they can make a phone call and all they have to do is put in their name and address and the system will know who their members of Congress are to help them out with that. And that will get our federal bill passed and this year. We've been working on it since 1998. It's going to pass this year and it will ban the cub petting and phase out the private possession so that we can actually save these cats in the wild. That's fantastic. And we'll add that to our show notes and we'll also have the Amazon smile and your website there as well. If you'd be willing, we'd love to have you back after that passes. And so we can talk about how that looks and kind of break down, you know, the new, the new model in the, in the country on, on owning big cats and kind of what the timeline is to see that change. going to be a party. <laughs> hey, Carol, <laughs> I can't thank you enough. I'm sure Ashley can't thank you enough. Uh, we're, we're glad to have connected this way and I want to say, I know it's just a few days early, but happy birthday to you. <laughs> Thank you. Happy birthday. Thank you. And Thank you for having me. Yeah. As always, we like to say here on the Humane Roundup podcast, keep it, keep it humane. 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 <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Carol. <laughs>